Oh, there, uh, there is one thing, Doctor. Yes? When my clock stops ticking, I'll die. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about a, a short drink from a certain fountain. Um, uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation a little bit more than maybe that episode, because uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot more than that episode. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's the last I'll say other than that Terry is still Big Daddy. That's that I just got to throw that out there. He's still... I guess I'm going to have to just own it now. (laughs) (laughs) Only from the rest of the series, like the rest of this podcast, like from going forward, it's like, you're going to, Hey guys, big daddy here. Like, I don't think you're going to do that. (laughs) I mean, that'd be weird, but also appropriate. Not really. Um, Yeah. So this week we're talking about a season five, episode 12, 90 years of that slumbering. Um, Before we get into day and date and cast and crew and all that stuff, I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, this episode is one of the worst episodes of the Twilight Zone I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, it, it, we'll get into why, right? What is surprising about this episode, other than its absolute blandness and terribleness, is how unfortunately important this episode is in regards to where it is in the Twilight Zone and kind of what happens because of it. So... Um, I got some information. I got some, you know, I, I'll connect the dots. So it would be, I'd be remiss not to be like, I didn't like this episode, but it's like, this was really important for a lot of reasons. And it's like, and none of them are good. So hmm. there we go. Well, I guess that's, uh, I'm glad that you prefaced all of that. Uh, this should be a very fun conversation as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would be great if you just like, you did a heel turn. You're like, I think this is one of the greatest, most sweetest and pleasant episodes I've ever seen. So face on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I just found like, do I hear a steel chair? And it's like, then the, like it's just 45 minutes of, of me sleeping. Uh, well, slumbering without eh, whatever. Anyway. So yeah, I'm calling my shot. I will connect the dots. I promise it will be worth it asterisks not really worth it all right so uh season five episode 12 90 years without slumbering air date uh december 20th 1963 number one film uh charade um number one song dominique by the singing nun um again uh, watch a wes anderson film i'm sure you've heard this before all right uh so we got a lot of day and date stuff too man this is there's some cool things to get in here to get into about the 20th and the 21st uh, the manufacturer of Studebaker automobiles in the United States came to a halt as the company's factory in South Bend, Indiana closed permanently. 
Um, and then uh, the last the last of them would be built in Canada like two years later. So uh, Studebakers were kind of like a thing. Like I, I mean, I I never grew up with one, but that was a known commodity in terms of the automotive world. I know like their big draw was like they didn't change their models all that much. So that way the value would stay the same and also parts usage would be like easier, which I think is kind of nice. And, you know, it would be nice to go forward with that sometimes with current cars. It's crazy to think that uh, big manufacturers like that just went out of business. I mean, could you imagine Ford just altogether going out of business, well, never it, seeing a Ford again? It almost so did. Dude, like, like Pontiac went away. Saturn went away. Like, you know, um, what else is out there? They got wiped out during, like, um, was it 2008 or so? Whenever oh, like, Mobile was gone. Yeah. So I guess, I guess you're right on that thing. But I just like, when you think of the, like the 60s, and and prior like i can always think of like the studebaker being a big facet of the the movies and the culture and yeah it, it like when i saw this i was like damn we have a definitive date of when they were gone from the states well and also too like you, you realize like we're only like i think we're like less than a year or two out from the last of the volkswagen uh beetles being built out of like well they were like south america they were still the same shape and, and things. So you still see like, like the, the VW, uh, like the ones that we know from the sixties, they were still being produced until recently. That's crazy. I didn't, I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. It's weird. I mean, not the, not the updated one that, you know, Volkswagen put out later. I'm talking like the actual, like, you know, beetle. Um, so that's kind of odd, but anyway, so yeah, that happened. Uh, then this also is kind of important cause we just, we just, um, hit the anniversary of the remembrance of the Holocaust, which is very important. Um, so for the first time since the, um, the erection of the Berlin wall in 61, sorry, this is the first story. And then we'll get to, um, the, the Nazi stuff, uh, residents of West Berlin were allowed to cross in East Berlin. So there was an agreement between East and West Germany that, um, they were able to, like, people were able to see each other. So that was the first time in like two years plus that the families were able to actually see each other. Uh, and so that, I think that's kind of nice. So that's good. Um, and then the other thing here at the war crimes trial held in Frankfurt, 18 years at the, after the end of world war two prosecutions, prosecutions began, uh, for the first 20 defendants out of hundreds of members of the German SS who helped operate the Auschwitz, um, concentration camp uh, network testimony will be taken and evidence presented and argued for the next 20 months with 211 survivors of the camp appearing as witnesses. I, it's that's it's crazy, man. It's just it's so wild to think it wasn't even that long ago. Nope. Like, and there's that there's this insidious garbage of people out there that are Holocaust deniers that it never happened. And it's like, you know, it, I mean, not this isn't this episode. And I don't want to be like, hey, the, the 90 years of slumber is a terrible episode. You know what else we'll talk about? Holocaust. But, you know, like it's just we can't forget it, right? There's lessons to be learned here. The terrible shit happened and we need to be constantly vigilant. So that's why I brought up uh, the Nazi war criminals being put on trial because it's important to not forget it. Well, and to give a uh, basis for like what, when these episodes were being aired, like mm -hmm. there was some serious shit that was still happening in the world. So people were like, how can we escape? Uh, let's watch Twilight Zone on a Friday night. Like yeah. that's the best you could do, really. Yeah, you like know? take me away, Edwin. You know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're right. And then so the next day, uh, twelve twenty one sixty three. Uh, this is just it. It's, I guess it's kind of important to me. Um, 
the 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 Daleks, a serial that marked the fifth episode of the original series of Doctor Who, uh, introduced the Daleks, which are one of the like you know the big big bads of the Doctor Who universe. So. Um, yeah, it was the, 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 they were introduced in, uh, the episode, the dead planets and they were actually shown until like, like, what was it? Um, the next week. Uh, so you, you've seen the Daleks before. They're the, the trash cans that say exterminate, you know, but they're an interesting, uh, villain and they're a staple of Dr. Who. And this is when they were first introduced. I, the only reason I even remotely lo- know what they look like is because of this uprise in the last 10 years of, uh, fandom for, Doctor Who, I've never heard of this show before that, and so I hate to say well, I mean, you're it, American. I still have not seen an episode. <laughs> okay, so here, here's what I'll say. I've not watched, like, this. the, the series was running through, like, the was it the 80s and early 90s, and it stopped for a bit, and then the, the, the most recent thing, I want to say, like, there are 14 or 15 seasons, and now something like that, of, like, the modern one with the BBC, where you got your um, David Tennant and, uh, oh, Matt, um, Oh shoot! Whatever his name is, I just anyway. Um, and you got uh, P- Peter Capaldi, who's my favorite of the new Doctors because he's like the angry old Doctor. Um, and Christopher Eccleston's in there for one season too. Uh, like I've watched from the beginning of that up until I'm, I'm not all the caught up yet. But it's one of those things that like you got to choke down a lot of bad to start finding the good. And that's just me being a doctor who fan on the other end, the first couple seasons, like, cause like it was one of my wife's favorite shows. I'm just like, this is goofy as shit. I don't know if I like this. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, you start to realize that like one, the intent of doctor who is supposed to be like a family show. So it is going to be goofy, but then you start to find the personalities of the doctors and there's, there's some bigger, there's some bigger through lines and they, and the, the, I, the character of the doctor carries a lot of like you know, baggage and scarring. And so like, there's there, like when there is like emotional moments, they, 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 they do kind of ring really loud. Uh, Matt Smith, that's the one I was going to mention. Um, uh, but then there's just times where it's like, Oh God damn, this is just, this is like a little too goofy, but I also own like six different, um, uh, sonic screwdrivers now. So what's that say about me? You found your heart in it one way or another. I, yeah. I think it's just a matter of me grit my teeth and just like watching some of it. Uh, and I, I, I guess I'll have to like take to what you just said to heart when I, t- when I finally dive into it, because I don't want to have to just be like one and done and be like, yeah, it wasn't for me. Oh no. Because the first season that when they came back with Eccleston, uh, the production, the, the, the budget's low and it, it, it shows real, real badly. But then when tenant comes in, uh, they, the, the budgets start going up. So like the show looks better and better as it goes along. It's just that like, um, so there, there's a, there's a story from the first season of the relaunch called, what was it? The doctor dances. It's a really good episode. And it's like, um, you'd have to see like for a character of that version of the doctor that's been haunted by, uh, decisions that, you know, he made previously. Cause even though his personality changes, he carries everything with him. Um, he's a much more um, wounded version of the character than like, than you probably would think when you see doctor who and just passing where it's like, Oh, we're on adventures of having fun, you know, but it's, it's, there's some good there. And the Daleks are a lot of fun to have on the series. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'll, uh, I'll have to uh, make some notes from other things that you have to tell me uh, when the mics are off about uh, finally getting into it. Cause I don't want to have to finally dive into it and be like a 007 
Moonraker kind of incident. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I'll just I'll just pick the worst ones and be like, "What? You don't like this? Like you don't like these episodes? What? <laughs> you haven't earned your stripes yet?" Yeah, right. No, uh, yeah, you got to you got to you got to choke down uh, the one where the doctor is Edwin and he is like near a clock that he feels is going to kill him. No, uh, so um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's day and date. So um, yeah, we've wandered kind of far already. So let's get in. Let's get into cast and crew, and I'll have some. I'll start bringing up parts of my uh my thesis here okay so our director on this episode is roger k i hate to say it i didn't know anything from his imdb at all no like he 25 credits of it's like it looks to be all television works are good on him um i don't think this episode's directed poorly i just it just i think he did what he could with what was given to him you know like and it's just you know like professional you know yeah yeah yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that. Yeah. So uh, a writer on this, uh, two credits. Uh, so it's uh, the story is by George Clayton Johnson, uh, six other episodes of The Twilight Zone, um, The Four of Us Are Dying, Execution, A Penny for Your Thoughts, A Game of Pool, Nothing in the Dark, and Kick the Can, which uh, most people might know also from the 1983 Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, so did you notice, so... Uh, but we'll talk about the teleplay part here in a second. Uh, did you notice that, like, when you looked up your your research for this, did it fully credit George Clayton Johnson or say something else? Um, you know, I didn't really notice anything else. I, I noticed that there was the teleplay was uh, done by a different a different uh, gentleman. Yeah. So this was originally credited. If, if you looked at the the actual credits in the episode, uh, it said uh, it was um, teleplay by Richard DeJoy. And uh, based upon a story by Johnson Smith, uh, George Clayton Johnson, who you mentioned like the six other episodes he's done. Um, when you go to the pantheon of Twilight Zone in terms of writers, obviously Serling's the top, right? Then you get, um, oh, uh, shit, what's his name? Um, but you got Matheson, then you got the other guy. Uh, um, we keep talking about him, the one that... Uh, the one that had, you know, ends up having the brain problems. That's not the way to say that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. Look You'll it get right it now. in a second. I know it, uh, <laughs> or, or I will look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, one second. Because um, I have, I have the power. Yeah, no, um, I do too. It's just but, I, like he's important, and I'm less like that guy. You know, uh, Charles Beaumont. My God, I should take. I should turn in my Twilight Zone card. So you got Charles Beaumont. You got Richard Matheson. Uh, so those are the, like those are like the two and three slots, right? George Clayton Johnson's like the number four. Um, I'd say Hamner. Hamner is going to be like right up there too at the end of the season in terms of output for the Twilight Zone. Um, a game He's like of pool. the Buffalo Bills getting to the Super Bowl, though. Like, like yeah. not too many of his stories were like bangers, though. But yeah, but I mean, a game of pool is one of my very favorite episodes of the, the series. Kick the can is is very sweet, and it was obviously enough to turn into into the movie adaptation. But he, you know, he brought it a lot, right? And uh, he was game for a lot of things. He actually had a story that he called Tick of Time. They submitted, and I'll get to the end when we get to the end of the episode. I'll read to you what the synopsis was, and you're going to be like, "Why didn't they go with that?" We'll get into why they didn't go with that in a second. He was so pissed off at how this story was like mangled that he's like, "I don't want my name on it." So mm. uh, George Clay Johnson's a guy who also wrote um, the screenplay, or at least the, like that for Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I want to say he did Logan's run. 
Um, I want to say that he was actually, from what I, from what I remember, he was one of the early people to help start San Diego Comic-Con. Like, dude has some cred, and he he's just... He's one of those guys that contributed a lot to the Twilight Zone. It's very important to recognize his contributions. This is the last episode that he's associated with for the series because he was pissed at what happened here. That's sad, man. That, that's really disappointing, especially if this was towards the end of uh, you know the, the run of the series. So yeah. you know, we wouldn't get any more. And when I made my Bill's uh, reference, I meant towards uh, Hamner. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right uh but so like the other thing too is like so uh the the um the gentleman uh not roger k richard DeJoy that was brought in for the teleplay he was brought in at the behest of uh william frong who is the producer for this and that's important because uh, frong um i think it's f-r-o-u-n-g only produced a handful of these season five episodes and you want to talk about like a mismatch between like producer and production. I don't think this guy was ever on the same page of what the Twilight Zone was supposed to be. And I think that's a lot of what led to some of this. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, there was definitely some uh, mishaps in this. Um, uh, as far as uh, Richard DeRoy, I think, I think it's DeRoy. Um, yeah. So uh, Sorry, lots you're right. of, you're right. Richard DeRoy. I was yeah, anyway. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the joy was the postmaster recently that, uh, did some some chicanery, you know, <laughs> with the U.S. Postal Service, I believe. Uh, other credits I had noted here, um, a bunch of uh, episodes of Generations and uh, Peyton Place. Um, that's all I've really noticed from him that would be of note. Uh, I know that we've talked about both series in the past, mm-hmm. so there's some good links to yeah. other things that we talked about. So the other thing I'll mention here before we get into the actors is that the, the feature music in this is actually uh, Bernard Herman. Right, and he, he he actually riffs off of the the ninety years without slumbering song that's sung at the beginning. This is not one of my favorite Bernard Herman scores for an episode, but when you think of the Twilight Zone, you think of Bernard Herman. He did the scoring for Walking Distance. He did the scoring for Little Girl Lost. He's like he has made some amazing music for this series, specifically for the Twilight Zone. Um, like he's one of those people that like when people think of like the high, the high highs of the series, Bernard Herman's there, right? Yeah. And, and it, we would be remiss to not mention him. Uh, Cause you know, he also did vertigo and the day the year stood still citizen Kane mm-hmm. taxi driver. So yeah, this is also his last episode of the twilight zone. Oh, they, they broke everybody on this cast. Didn't they? Uh, <laughs> I guess. But I mean, it's season five, right? So, but like, um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you're like, oh man, you got George Clayton Johnson who, you know, like not every single thing he did was knocked out of the park, but like he's won me over, right? As a, as a writer. And then you got Bernard Herman and let's, we'll get into the cast here. Um, there's a very big connection here to, to the series. Um, uh, yeah, this, like, who do we got here? It's a, it's another one of the smaller casts. Um, you know, thankfully kind of. All right, so yeah, to lead off, we have uh, Edwin uh, returning. Uh, he plays Sam Forsman. Uh, one other episode was uh, One for the Angels in yeah. season one. Season one, episode two. So this was uh, basically after the pilot, which was Where Is Everybody? This is the one. And he carries that episode. He is a... Um, a, a salesman that has like a, like a, a trunk full of like odds and ends and toys or whatever. And, you know, he's just like a door to door salesman, like down on his luck. And, um, yeah, like it's just, he, uh, 
he's he's being approached by Mr. Death, which when you go back and watch the episode, it's like that looks like a stand in for Serling. It's hilarious. And there's a great music cue that every time Mr. Death shows up. Uh, and he had, and, and Death's like, I'm coming for you tonight. And he's like, well, I just, he's like, well, what do you want? He's like, I want one last good sale. And there's a, there's a kid that ends up like, um, being sick. And so he ends up, uh, Edwin's character ends up pitching to Mr. Death of like, you know, this kid needs to live. And he wants to give the pitch. That's one for the angels. And Edwin's performance in that is amazing. And that's kind of what started putting the mark on for what the twilight zone could be. So I think it's important that Ed wins in this is too. Like, I don't think, I don't think he's the problem in this episode. I think he's a delight. I just think what the episode is, is this kind of fails him. And, and there is a little bit of uh, parallels that we can draw between that episode and this episode. Once we yeah. get to it, um, people also may know, uh, Mr. Edwin from uh, diary of Anne Frank, uh, Mary Poppins. And, uh, his voice is very noted, uh, notable in the fact that, He was the Mad Hatter from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And his son, Keenan Wynn, um, was in the last episode of the first season. Uh, What was it called? A World of Difference. I think that might have been called the the episode. And that was the one in which the guy had like the dictaphone. He could like talk into it and whatever he wrote would become live. And at the end of that episode was the first time Sterling appeared on screen and was doing like his dialogue. And and, and Keenan Wynn's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this ends. And Sterling's like, what? And the guy takes the tape and throws it in the fireplace and Sterling disappears. And that was like, everyone thought it was great having Sterling on camera. And so he started getting on camera. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that run through here with the Wynn family. And Keenan Wynn was on set for this too. That's why I bring it up because I have a story at the end as well. Okay, cool. And then uh, next on our cast uh, list here, we have uh, Carolyn Keen, uh, Kinnear. Yeah, Kinnear. I think it's Kearney. Kearney. All right. So I, I hear I strike again. Can't read names. Uh, Marnie Kirk. Uh, she plays in this episode, a uh, bunch of TV work along with, uh, four episodes of Lassie. Um, and that's pretty much all I had known her from. I have her in playhouse 90 and then also the Westinghouse, uh, Desilu playhouse, which is the place where time element premiered, which was the, the, uh, sort of pilot of the twilight zone. And then uh, next we'll have uh, James T. Uh, Callahan. Oh, James T. Kirk. Wait, no, James T. Callahan right. as Doug Kirk. Yeah. I, I like how uh, um, IMDb will be like as James Callahan when he played in this episode. It's like, so he just added the T later. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I is, need that T. Is it like the Michael J. Fox thing? Whenever he went to go get registered, like um, with the Screen Actors Guild, there was already a Michael Fox. So he just added the J. Is that what you think was what happened there? That's a that's a strong possibility. He has our uh, the most credits out of uh, most of these actors, honestly. Uh, so uh, Mr. Callahan plays uh, Doug Kirk in this episode. 104 episodes of Charles in Charge, and he was in uh, Return of the Living Dead three. That's how I know him. Yeah, I put um, an ex- I put an exclamation point there. I knew you were going to pick that up. Hell yeah, dude! That's such a good movie. I watched it more recently. Um, I he has so much other stuff that he's worked on as far as TV work and that I just didn't know any of it. I, those are the ones that really stood out to me. Yeah. I have, he was also an episode of amazing stories. That's all I have as well. Cool. So, uh, next we have, uh, Carol Bernard, Bernard Byron. I think yeah. it's Carol Byron. Byron. Yeah. 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 So, uh, she plays Carol, <laughs> Carol, good, Chase good for her. Yeah. Carol plays Carol. Um, and, uh, 
bunch of TV work. Uh, she did uh, some Adams Family. Yep. That's all I really knew. That's what I got for her too. Okay, so uh, got two more credits here, and then we'll uh, we'll see what you got. Uh, William Sargent uh, plays Doctor Mel Avery. Uh, one other episode of Twilight Zone: The Parallel. Poor guy. Didn't- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, do you think, do you think like later there was like a Twilight Zone convention where it's like, oh, you guys can meet uh, William Sargent? Everyone's like, no, nah, we're we're good, we're good. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got some jokes there for for the the con community, but I'll save those for off air. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I really had for him. Okay. Um, Dick Wilson is my last credit here. Uh, he was one of the movers. Um, one other Twilight Zone appearance. Escape clause. Yeah, but that's not what you know him as. Do you know what you know him as? I I'm waiting for you to tell me, Mister Whipple, the Charmin toilet paper guy. Do uh, do I really know him as that guy? <laughs> if you know. look up Mister Whipple, you would you'd recognize him. It's time to squeeze the Charmin. I you know it's funny because it's when you look up IMDb for him, that's his picture. I was like, why is this guy holding some TP? I didn't know what <laughs> it's, it's like, is that his thing? Like, he, yeah. I don't know. Like, that's his thing. Uh, so, okay. So you got him. Uh, then uh, what else do I have here? I have uh, Audrey Edwards is herself. That's what was listed on like the, the Wikipedia and that she's not on IMDb at all. So I'm like, I like that she plays herself. I don't know who that was. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we have Chuck Hicks as mover number two. Second of two Twilight Zone episodes. He was the Maynard Flash in the episode Steel we covered. Oh, yeah, dude. I forgot about that. He wasn't wearing uh, a mask of his own face. You know, like yeah, it would have been hard to see, you know. It's rough. Wouldn't it have been great <laughs> if he was wearing that mask carrying the clock down? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Did we actually see the dude's face, though, in this episode? I can't I, remember. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. So I also the talking character. (laughs) Yeah. So I also have uh, John uh, Pickard as the police officer, only Twilight Zone episode 225 credits. He was in Playhouse 90. That's all I have from him. And then don't let me forget. There is a secret Twilight Zone cameo in this episode. That's not listed in the credits, but it's in my research. Oh, fun. Uh, Another connection, another amazing connection to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. uh, And as far as, uh, credits for this episode that's all i had yeah all right uh yeah let's let's uh, we keep dragging our feet uh but let's just get into 90 uh 98,000 years without slumbering here each man measures his time some with hope some with joy some with fear but sam forstman measures his allotted time by a grandfather's clock a unique mechanism whose pendulum swings between life and death a very special clock that keeps a special kind of time in the twilight zone all right, what, where do like, man, like, I don't know, where where do we go with this? Like, I I feel like we owe we owe the people that, like, I I will say always, always, and always, and always that it, watching the Twilight Zone weekly and having discussions with you, um, it, it will always make everything infinitely better. And I and I enjoy people who are coming along with the journey with us. Uh, and I say that I think every episode of the Twilight Zone is worth watching once. Um, you know, so but people may not watch it. So where do we start with this? Because it is like, we talk about the parallel, like being kind of like this, like, Oh, that kind of just happened. This episode's even less affecting than that one. And that was an hour long episode. Right. I, I think it is a difficult question to ask and answer. Um, because I, I feel like we owe it to the community of listeners to dive into it a little bit. 
But I don't know if we necessarily have to go into all the little nooks and crannies of this episode. Um, I, I think this is a, uh, this is basically a story of mora- uh, morality and uh, mortality and how they affect each other and they affect uh, Mr. Ed Wynn, uh, Sam, Sam Forstman in this episode. And he just can't deal with the, the possibility of death. So, yeah. I mean, I, so he's a grandfather living in um, the house with his, his granddaughter, Marnie, who is like, who's pregnant. Um, and so like, you know, th- their life's going to be changing soon. Um, but it's, but it's this weird thing where like she, like she was fussing over him because he didn't come out of his room for the day because he kept messing. He kept fussing with his clock. Um, and so her husband is like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, he's getting a little long in years and maybe, you know, maybe like I just, th- there's worries about his mental health because he's really focused on this clock. Um, but then at the same time though, it's like, I'm going to ask you this question. If you had like a house that big and he had his own room, like how much noise do you think he's making in there with that clock to be upsetting to everybody? I, I really don't know. I think it's just a fact that like the dude's off doing something. And I think the dog is upset by the fact that he's doing something and he can't watch him. Cause I mean, his wife is the granddaughter of, uh, of Sam. So I don't think that Doug is all too excited about, having Sam in the house in the first place. So it's like, let's keep an eye on this dude. He might be getting a little wacky. You know, we don't know what he's doing up there. He might be painting the walls with feces. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what have you been doing up here, Grandpa? No! You know. (laughs) Grandpa, no! (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, that has been bad. But but the thing is, like, um, yeah, I I know. It felt odd to me that, the, the, that the clock was like, I mean, if you're saying the story is his focus on the clock was the, was the problem fine, but like they, they make it out like this, this clock is like this burden. And I don't understand that. Also, he's a clocksmith. That was his job his entire life. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't he be like the, like the last person to be worried about if he's like futz him with that clock? Let's see. So here's the, the line I'm going to draw about the clock. I think this is like the Santa Claus syndrome. They tell a little boy, if you're good and you do everything right and you, and you did everything the way you're supposed to throughout the year, Santa Claus is going to leave you gifts. And that's what the clock is. Like if, if the clock dies, then he dies. Like, uh, like we had in the, the intro, he feels dead set on the fact that if something happens to that clock, if it explodes for some reason, he's going to explode. Like the he dies, the clock is dying at the same time. Like I just, I don't shame on the parents. <laughs> I just don't know what happened. Right. There. Like, yeah. Um, but did you, uh, did you also point out, like, I don't know, not point out. Did you notice that whenever, uh, the husband sends, sends Marnie up, like, cause she's like, I'm gonna go check on him. He takes his newspaper and smacks her on the ass. I'm like, Whoa, 63. We're going to show that. Like, did you uh, like, it's a very, it's a very loving moment of affection, but I'm like, Oh, all right, here we go. This is what we're doing. You know, like I was like that surprising me twilight zone. Well, it, at least it's not so different from, well, I, it's better rather than uh, that office scene of the. Uh, oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. From uh, oh, uh, which one was it? The the Wish episode from season four. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. it's a hell of a lot better than that. I dream. Least, I dream like, of genie. Yeah, that one. Whew, yeah, that was bad. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's being progressive. I don't know. Anyway, so. <laughs> Um, so like the only shots in this episode that I kind of dig are when they're like from the clock with the clockwork facing out towards Ed Wynn. that's kind of interesting. Um, but then you hear him singing that song about 90 years without slumbering and, um, and then, so the rest of the episode feeds off of that theme. And I mean, I do not like this theme. It bugs me every time it plays. Yeah, I, I didn't care for it either. I just, I think that there was some better storytelling that could have happened from the get. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand that Sam's character or Sam rather is supposed to be concerned about the clock and everything, but his, his way of, I don't know, explaining it to people. It just seems so in passing. Like when he even talks to the doctor later, um, I guess we can we can jump into that if you don't mind. Um, yeah, no, no, because because uh, um, um, what was it? Kirk uh, wants to. Uh, um, sorry, not not Doug Kirk. I keep wanting to call him James T. Kirk. I know because it's on me. It's like, hey, you should go see my buddy, who you know is a psychologist, and maybe he can help you. And and uh, Sam's like, why? Like, what's going on? And you know, it's like we we think it's the clock thing. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll go. I don't believe any of this, but I'll go. I like that. I like that he's he is um, in disbelief of psychology, but he definitely believes that clock is going to kill him. And, and again, like he seems like in pretty high spirits of, about this whole conversation about the clock and him possibly quote unquote being kind of crazy. Um, I, I, I think that he senses hesitation about his presence there from, from Doug. Uh, but like Marnie obviously wants him there, but Doug is like, Hey, maybe we should get this dude on his way. Maybe the loony bin is the way out. You know, like I think that's really where Doug's at at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's like maybe like, my buddy, my, my buddy will rubber stamp him into a rubber room. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, like Sam, Sam seems to be like, okay. Like he's fighting a good battle, but like he has it with a smile on his face. He's like, you think I'm crazy. Well, I'm going to show you who the crazy one is when I go to this doctor of yours. So, yeah, and the, like the whole doctor's like scene. That's when that's when we find out like that he he uh, that Sam has laid out everything like, like before he gets like more direct, saying that like you know like, I like the whole thing is like back when I was growing up, like, like husbands and wives loved each other. It's like yeah, because sixty three is like so harsh, um, but I, I don't know whatever. Um, and he's like. It was it was found out that the day he was born, the clock was given as a gift, which I don't know about you. That doesn't seem like a tradition. Like, hey, you have this new responsibility in the world and a baby. Like what like what is going on there? Yeah, I, I would imagine like a, a baseball mitt, something like that. But then they're a like a pocket watch, a firm handshake. I don't know. Hey little Sammy, here's this grandfather clock to know your impending doom. Yeah, I just I, I just almost feel like that that happened in a house where someone's like, shit, we didn't buy anything for the baby. This this clock. <laughs> there we go. Take this big piece of shit here. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do maintenance on for yeah. your entire life. Yeah, yeah. It's like in the meantime, I also brought you these goldfish from the county fair. Just figure it out. It's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this baby alligator. Do what you got to do with yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. You know, it's 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 you'll pay off later. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, th- that's whenever like. And you get the notion, like with with like um, Sam, though he's a very very charming guy, and like, Ed Wynn's a very charming like actor, and he he kind of like bowls over uh, the doctor, and he gets the doctor talking about his own clock, which you know that's exciting cinema, um, and then and then on the way out though. Like, cause whenever like he, like Sam realizes that like, you know, the doctor's saying like, well, I think, I think your family's saying it's either the, the clock or you, like he, the doctor said directly, but Sam picks that up, which he's right about. But then on the way out the door, he's like, eh, don't have to worry about me. Why? He's like, cause when that clock stops ticking, I'm dead later. Like, you know, just that, just like he, he almost aced the interview and then just like, just completely dropped his keys there at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, just so you know, I'm still possibly nuts yeah it's like <laughs> this has been a fun talk i'm loony and just leaves you know like whatever i'll wait for your referral <laughs> like, this will get this this role will get me the mad hatter one day at disney you know like whatever <laughs> it's 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 very strange in how he he exits the the interview i guess at that point because they're not they're not really he's not really a patient so much at that point he's just kind of feeling out the situation and like him saying that it, it's gonna, it's gonna require more questions now. Like now, I need to see this dude a little bit more than just like this, like small brief um, discussion here. Yeah, the, like this was a favor for a friend. Now I'm concerned, you know, type of thing, right? So then, so then we get this like weird moment of like, I, uh, uh, so Sam believes that like if maybe if he brings the clock down into the living room to where everybody can see and hear it then maybe it'll be better. And that's when he gets Mr. Whipple and the flash to, to bring it down the steps. Right. Uh, and as they're moving in, he's like, Oh, be careful. And then they set it up. Right. And then this is whenever it's like, I wasn't sure if the episode was going to go this way because it's not been really set up so far, but the clock stops and he collapses. Sam collapses on the steps. And then all of a sudden the clock kicks up again. He's back up. So it's like, Maybe there is something to this, right? Like yeah, he, he does his best Fred Sanford impression. Yeah. As he can. <laughs> it's the big one, you know, whatever. Like, it, it, yeah, like falls to the steps, and it's it's you. It's I think this is prior to a commercial break. So as an audience, I like, no, oh, that's a good cue. All right, it's it, it works, and he comes back. the The pendulum starts swinging on the clock again, and uh, Sam gets up off the steps. And he, he seems to be fine. So yeah. Uh, and, and he's just like, Oh, I'm good. And then like the delivery guys are like, well, that was weird. And then like they leave. Right. So, um, so then, um, the, his family comes home. So Marnie and, um, uh, Greg, is it Greg? It's great. Doug, yep. Doug, Doug, Greg, Chad, whatever. Anyway, Doug, um, it's all <laughs> Single the same syllable name. Yeah, whatever, you know, uh, Doug, they're like, Oh, they, they go. I like how they go to open the door and like the front door and like it hits the clock and they're like, what the hell is this doing here? And then like, Sam's like, looks pretty good. Does it? It's like, no, you're blocking a major traffic way. This is a problem, you know? But, uh, so they, you know, they decide that like, it's going to be the clock or him. And then this is when we get to like, um, like the next day, whenever Marnie's talking to a friend of hers, um, and and you got Sam there playing uh, solitaire, uh, you know, and 
and his friend, her friend's like, oh, that's a beautiful clock. I'd love to have it. And he's like, well, if you want it, we could work something out. And she's like, that'd be great. And he's like, that would be great too. Cause you live next door and I can come visit it. And she's like, sure. Old man, you can come into my house and look at the clock whenever, you know, dude, you're, you're, you're speeding past the one thing that made me laugh so hard in please, this episode. Please. Oh, oh please. Yeah. What, what is it? So, uh, Marnie's friend Carol comes over and as she's talking oh, to Oh yes, uh, please. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. yeah. She's talking to Marty. <laughs> it seems that like Sam isn't there. I, I don't even know if he's in this. He's not in the frame yet. yet. No, it's just them talking. You're right. And uh because Marnie's pregnant, uh Carol says to her, It's like, So, where's Sam gonna be staying when the baby comes? And like you see Sam now at this point in the frame, you're like Oh, the dude's there. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like that's a hell of a question to be asking. And Marnie, of course, like she addresses it right away. Like he's going to be staying here, you know, in his room. And she kisses uh, her grandpa on the cheek, or whatever. Says, "I'm going to need help with the baby." It's like, wow. Like, I <laughs> just way to be caring about it. Like, <laughs> leave the <laughs> like leave this question alone. Like, don't even ask, especially in front of the old dude. we're gonna put him in a crate and stuff him in the you know crawl space she's like oh by the way i'm gonna let you borrow my copy of old yeller and where the red fern grows (laughs) oh hi (laughs) hi grandfather what's going on like oh okay yeah that was like so inappropriate i was like what about this this, this, this spot before where like she's like uh when she's talking to marnie she's like oh it's like oh it's like uh what was it um i refused to get pregnant before (laughs) whatever it was like oh we're having this conversation okay and then like you know then like marnie's like oh okay like I don't know. It was this weird, like the whole, the whole thing was awkward as all get out. And then it's like, Oh, also when you're shipping out your grandfather, hi grandfather. Like it was an awkward moment. Carol was probably the equivalent of what I would be back in the sixties, like approaching, uh, like serious discussions, but don't feel so serious about them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, what do you think about this? And be like, wow, that's a huge subject. And, uh, I, when, I don't when, think you want to get into it. When I was working retail, real quick, uh, there was a kid I worked with who was in high school at the time, and he, nice kid, just sometimes like didn't think what he was saying all the way through all the time. Like he would, he had the best of intentions, but he just never. Sometimes it's like, oh, why did you say that? And there was a couple in the store with the younger child, like a little kid, and the kid had an eye patch on, like like a, from like a recent thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then this kid comes up like this, like my, my sales associate who was like this high school kid walked over and was like, Hey, what happened to your eye? It's like, you can't ask them that. You can't ask, you can't ask the family, like just randomly, like, Hey kid, what happened to your eye? Like, no, just place and time. Well, especially if like, it's not really your spot to be asking yeah, about it. Like, no, this, we, 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 we weren't selling eyeballs or anything like that. No, like. <laughs> You're not an optometrist. No, and it wasn't a pirate shop. It wasn't like he was looking for a parrot. It's like, no, you know, it was a sporting goods shop. Like, that's not like, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, what yeah, happened so to I, your eye? <laughs> oh, is your grandfather dead yet? Oh, okay. Yeah. Carol was definitely out of place and, uh, didn't, didn't understand where she was and how to read the room, especially since Sam was sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so she, yeah, she agrees to take the clock and, uh, which is perfect for Sam because he is going to be able to look, check in on that clock anytime he wants. Well, he makes yeah. it a point to point. Like, he said, I think he said earlier that this thing is not your typical, 
eight day clock. It's a 48 hour one. So it has to be wound every 48 hours. So I think that's, so he wanted to make sure that he could see the thing at least, you know, every other day. But it just seemed like the look in his eye, which just seemed a little more creepy though. Like, yeah, I'll be able to check on that clock anytime I want now. Like I just, I don't know. It was kind of an uncomfortable experience. Because, a little bit. I mean, he's waking up from a, like a, from sitting in his bed, I guess he wasn't sleeping because he said earlier he he never sleeps. So what does he plan on doing at two o'clock in the morning when he feels anxiety about the clock? Is he going to like bust through the window like Kool-Aid and like check on the clock? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's like, it's, he's like the flavor aid version of the Kool-Aid man. Like he didn't quite get there, you know, but uh, he got there very slowly. Yeah. So then we, <laughs> <laughs> country time lemonade man that's what he is now uh so uh so yeah we find out like he goes down he like we, we cut later like he's like it's a morning of some time right it's been like two weeks right that we find out yeah uh and he has his little toolkit and everything and mario's like well where are you going he's like i'm just gonna go over and deal with the clock she's like nah they're on vacation he's like vacation blah like and she's like, don't worry, you can go visit that clock later. And he's like, that's important. I see it now. And then like that night, that's when he goes creeping over. And, and it is such, it's such an uncomfortable thing to watch too, because this dude's like, he, he's walking around in his PJs and like, I guess like a, a smoking jacket. I don't even know. And he's got a little toolkit, just strolls over to the house, tries the door, doors locked. Starts looking through the window, tries the window, and is like, eh, forget it. I'll bust it. And here we see a cop car just within, kind of slowly. Like within seconds of him out. breaking the window with the toolkit, it's like, oh, shit, there's the cops. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, I, it, you know, like, th- that's good good timing on the cops. Um, but the way that this is ha- handled from the cops' approach, I'm like, yeah, definitely different times, uh, or at least uh, television times, because – it's the middle of the night. He's busting through a window. They shouldn't necessarily know if anybody's inside or what his motives are. And they just were like, yeah, come on, old dude. We're going to take you back home. I don't see that happening nowadays. Well, in a, in a weird way, it's like that's that's almost the preferred de-escalation, right? As opposed to just opening fire or whatever, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's just more like, he's like, but the clock, if it winds that I'll die. It's like, it's okay, old man. We're just taking you next door, you know, like, um, so it's a very reasonable response to something happening. Reasonable, but yeah, yeah, I don't think you would necessarily see that. No, not now in real life (laughs) at all. So do you think, do you think Rob Williams watched that performance for one hour photo? Oh, oh yeah. No, that's a, Perhaps. No, I'm joking. Dude, that's a creepy movie. Like, very unsettling at the, like, that. That is definitely a there's only discussion there, yeah, later. There, yeah, there's only a handful <laughs> of movies I actually have like a physical reaction to in the theater, and that one left me like like I couldn't breathe watching the second half of that movie. It just kept ratcheting. Right. Like I was uncomfortable watching that movie. So whenever you see Edwin go over and just try the door to open, it's like, ugh, man, that's uncomfortable. Like I know it's 63, but it's like, that's still weird to me. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if they were there, if they just happened to come in early from their vacation yeah. and the door happened to be unlocked, how do you explain this old dude just walking into your house 
I mean, yeah, sure, it's the grandfather of your neighbor. Still wouldn't be all that kosher. No, no, would not be cool. No. So, yeah, so uh, the Pope Hope takes him back to his house, um, and Marnie takes him back to bed and, you know, like, tries to calm the situation, like, hey, hey, we're good now. And he's like, yeah. And he kind of starts almost saying his last goodbyes. That's what it feels like. Yeah, he's resigned to it because he can't get to the clock and he knows it's winding down, which, you know, from the story we're being told so far, it makes sense. Right. So, and so she leaves the room and he, as he's laying there, there's this kind of like superimposed image of the, the pendulum from the clock slowly slowing down and then stopping. And, uh, we see Sam, I, I, I suppose falling asleep, but I think it's supposed to be implying that he's dead. Uh, and then, we pan back and we see the bed with uh, Sam in it. And uh, this, I guess it's like another superimposed image of him rising up off of himself. Uh, it's his spirit. That's what we come to find out. It's his spirit that has come out of his body. And so he has a conversation with his spirit. And I don't know how better to describe this than saying like, there's like, I don't believe you. You're not real. I'm not going to die. And, uh, uh, but like, I'll see you later. Like yeah, that's, no, that's like the spirits. Like, I guess I got to go. And then like, he wakes up in the bed. He's like, Hey, you look familiar. It's like, oh, come on. You know? And then like the spirits, like, well, you know, the rules, you know, like when the clock, you know, hits zero, we're out. And he's like, you know, I don't believe that anymore. It's like, is it because the cops told you not to? Is that what just happened? Because like you're like um, Sam's like belief system completely like 180s. And it is like there's no I don't know. It's like it's just, it's so unbelievable that he suddenly gives up the ghost literally in this case. Right. And in regards yeah. to what's going on. Well, you know, it's like it's aggravating because this is the most dialogue heavy scene. Mm-hmm. And it just. I don't know. It just, it aggravates me. I think that there should have been more meat to the, the center part of this story. And then this could have been like, yeah, uh, you're not a part of my life and I need to move on with the part of my life that I actually believe in now. And, but there's just so much more dialogue that exists here that I feel is unnecessary and it's kind of goofy. It's all, it's all goofy. It is one of the, um, it's one of the worst things I think I've seen like in the series. Cause it's just, it's just, it's heavy handed. Like, like I'm surprised they didn't like, you know, Earl Hammer didn't sneak in and be like, Hey guys, you need me to write stuff. It's like, no Earl, you're next week. It's fine. You know, whatever. Um, it's just, it is, it's just, it takes the piss out of any momentum in the episode, which there is none to begin with. It's just, it just, it just like, it removes any possible tension that all oh, the clock did stop. Are we going to see something? Right. So like he's fine. His ghost is back in his body, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then at the, you know, at the end, like uh, Marty comes in and was like talking to him and he's like, oh no, you know, we need to stick around for, you know, your kid and that's important and I'm feeling much better now. And then they go walking down the staircase, which Terry, so help me God, if the end of the episode would have been him been like the clock stopped ticking and I feel good and this tumbles down the steps, this would have been the greatest episode of the Twilight Zone ever. Especially if he would have tumbled over a doll. Yeah, that and and, and Telly Savalas at the bottom of the staircase. Yes, that would have been right next to him. Yeah, (laughs) but wouldn't that have been like 
like the greatest like F you like this whole thing is like saccharine sweet and then he's out. How great would that have been? I I think that would have worked because I even if we would have seen inside of the clock that there is still some gears moving, but the pendulum is not moving yet. Um, and then those come to a halt and then he passes away in mid step. Like that would have been interesting. That would have been a little bit more captivating as a scene, but I just, uh, I don't know. No, it but is. He just says like when the clock stopped, I was reborn and hooray. That's your episode. Like great. Great. <laughs> great. Um, I, I don't know. Like that. I, this is one I've done a lot of like soul searching on and I do, I'm did your soul leave to, your body for a minute. And did you talk to it? <laughs> I was actually searching for my soul. Um, I was like, come back. Please, like, your soul's like, F this. I'm out of here. I watched 90 years of that slumbering. I'm done. He's like, but Terry's like, no, come back. But there's, it's still going to get, it's going to get better. We still have episodes of cover for the fifth season. And there's cheese out there. And it's like, okay, I'm coming back. There's more cheese out there. But I, it's like, I don't know. I know that Rod has a a concise um, message with almost every episode that he has, and I know that he did not write this episode, but I he still was a huge deciding factor for episodes to make it to um, to airing. Uh, not I, not so much. That's why I'm putting this at the producer uh, William Frong's feet on this one because season five, his his output and control was um, that Sterling's output and control was not the same as it once was, especially his control portion. Okay, well, I I mean, Be- well, well because way, I'm still- yeah, so I mean, like what I'm saying is that Chicago Productions actually did get this this uh, tick of time story that George Clayton Johnson submitted. And then whenever they were trying to put it, punch it up for this, this season, um, Frong brought in his, his friend, um, uh, the gentleman here, um, it's right in front of me. I'm sorry. Uh, DeRay, right? Not DeRay. Is that what's DeRoy. DeRoy to, to, uh, change it. And they changed it significantly. And I have a feeling that if Sterling could have like stepped in and been like, Nope, this is not what we're doing. It would have went closer to the original story idea, which I'll talk about in a second. But Frong just, this guy like did like six episodes, produced it. It's just like this guy was just, it was just, he had, he did not have the best interest of the Twilight Zone, I feel, in his mind making this. And, and it's completely fair. And I, I don't think this is a good episode. And maybe there is, if I can find the original story at some point here, I, I may enjoy that a lot more. I think there is a, a really important message here is just like, don't waste your time on time itself. Mm-hmm. Like don't wait. Like, I, I think that's kind of like a universal message. Like don't get lost in certain moments when you have the rest of your time to live out. Like, and, and that's fair. So I'm, I'm going I'm to say two things. One, uh, there's the season three episode, kick the can, which we talked about already a little bit tonight, uh, deals much more, because George Clayton Johnson would deal with these themes of like you, as you put it, uh, uh, morality and mortality, right? Uh, kick the can's the same thing too of like how do you choose to live your later days do you choose to be an old person or do you want to go back you know and that kind of visits this a little bit too so the original idea for the story i'll just, i'll say this now is that the a lot of the same things in place of the guy believing that the clock was like tied to him dying uh, he ends up selling it to like a pawn shop and then freaks out and goes to get it back 
And while he, he has like a, like a radio flyer wagon that he has his grandfather clock standing upright in because he can't lay it down because it will stop with the pendulum. He is trying to like this old man is trying to bring this up the sidewalk with like this kid helping him. Um, and also the granddaughter is pregnant, right? So she's about to have a kid. Um, as this old man's like bringing this clock up, it's, it stops ticking and he collapses on the sidewalk and passes. And then um, like moments later, we find out that the child was born and the clock starts ticking again. What was so bad about that? No, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's a reincarnation. It, it reminds or whatever, me of, right? Uh, yeah, it's just I just the idea that there would be real peril. This older older gentleman trying to like manage his clock, pulling it back to his house, seems much more interesting to me than having you know uh, Whipple Man and the Maynard Flash taking it downstairs. I yeah, that would have been a better story. I don't know why they didn't go with that. I think they they would have cut the fat a little bit. Yep. I, oh. but I again, you know, like I'm not trying to poo poo on this as much as maybe I probably should be because it really is not a good episode at all. And it, it, for what you were talking about, the adaptation didn't work, uh, but that's not, that's not to do a, you know, discredit uh, Edwin or any of the other uh, actors in this episode. I, I think that there is well, something that can be taken. I, I, I'm, tr- I'm, st- I'm still that guy. It was like, there's some bones here. There's some bones. I, I, uh, I like the idea of, uh, play of uh, mortality in the clock and having something being fixated on. So I, I like that. That's the thing I took away from it. I, I like that. It was a clock. You're, you're, you're being overwhelmed by the idea that this is something, if you have some kind of hand in it figuratively and like, like, like actually, because he was tinkering with it all the time, then maybe you can control um, your destiny. Well, okay, fine. I, I and I think, I think you're being easier on the episode of, of the potential of what it was and the message it's giving, which is fine. I'm not saying that you're wrong about that. I'm just saying that as presented, as given to us, this thing, it, it doesn't, it, not that I need every single episode of the twilight zone to like drag you in the dirt and make you feel bad and have bad things happen to bad people. Um, you can have fun and have a more lighthearted storytelling. This one, it's like, it's not, it's 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 lighthearted, but it's almost like um, uh, how do you, how do I describe it? It's it's almost like if there was like an after school special version of the Twilight Zone, so they wanted to have like the least offensive one to show to kids or to like a Sunday school class and be like, well, look, it was okay all the entire time, and that is defanged, and there's n- and there's no there's nothing here that makes it. Um, I don't know, worthy of a revisit. I'll just put it that way. No, I agree. I completely agree with you on that aspect. I don't think I'd ever watch this episode again. Um, I mean, mediocrity sometimes is the biggest thing, right? Which I know not everything is going to be the best or the worst and some things are just okay. But when something is just completely mediocre from A to B and you just feel like, well, what was the point of that? That sometimes speaks louder to me than just like an episode that was like, as much as like you and I weren't big fans of the seventh is made up of phantoms. At least, like, as much as we never saw anything on screen with that episode, I don't know. Like, at least it was trying to, to do something. This felt like it was trying to do something, and then they brought, like, the last-minute script changes and been like, oh, no, we don't really want to go there either, right? Like, it, it's like they couldn't, they couldn't shit or get off the pot with this episode. 
Yeah, it, it, there was like more to think about in this episode, but then I, uh, they didn't do enough to present the the actual storyline. And then in our previous episode, there was like a very surface level um, storyline, and they did more to try to explain it. And I, I don't know, like there sometimes there's like a fine balance, and I think I agree with you most most of all. Like this is a real failed effort here. I just try to, I'm trying to like dig deep and try to find the worth in it. No. And, and, and unfortunately I can't, but I feel like it's an important episode because again, you got one of the guys who started off the series, you know, playing another role. Uh, I like Edwin. Um, you know, it's like, uh, he was one of the reasons that the twilight zone probably got some momentum early. Cause he, you know, just delightful person. You get, you know, Bernard Herman's score. You get a George Clayton Johnson story, kind of. It's like all these ingredients should come together and make and make a pretty good dish. But I guess whenever you decide to, like, water the ingredients down as much as possible and just, like, underbake it, this is kind of where you end up at. That's that's my analogy I'm using. No. So um, are you ready? Do you have any other notes about the episode? Because I got, got a little bit of trivia here. I'm going to blow your mind about that secret special guest star. No, no more notes about the episode. Okay. Robert McCord was the stand-in when Wynn was talking to himself as a ghost. So we have like 87 Robert McCord appearances in the series, uh, and he's not credited in this because he didn't actually show up on screen. So there was just a dude that just stood there, and, and then they... Gave lines back and forth, yeah. Oh, my God. But it's, it's Robert McCord. We got to get credit. I, I'm, I was excited about that. I don't know about, about you. Uh, and then also... I just wanted to point out there, there's this whole thing here. It's in, it's in one of the books talking about how Serling was on set for a lot of this. Cause he actually um, cared about Edwin a lot. Edwin was getting older. His health wasn't the greatest. And the director kept forcing him to walk up and down stairs. It's like, come on, just give Edwin a break. Um, but uh, Keenan, Wynn was there on set too with him just to make sure that his dad was being treated well. So Rod and Keenan were there to make sure that Ed was comfortable as can be for all that. And I think that's very sweet. And that shows you how much Rod, you know, cared about the people he chose to work with. So I thought, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was a nice story. Yeah. He, he passed away two and a half years later. So yeah, uh, and there's uh, a little thing too, where like, um, what was it? Uh, Carolyn Kearney was talking about, she said here, you'll like the story. I'll just read this real quick. Edwin being up in years of the time when he had to go up and down the stairs on set, I had to help him. Uh, he would lean on me and then he would say, Oh, but you're pregnant. I don't want to hurt you. And then she'd no. be like, Mr. Wynn, I'm really not pregnant. I'm playing pregnant. You can lean on me anytime you want. And he'd be like, Oh, that's right. That's right. And he would laugh like that's, you know, this seems like that's the kind of humor he had. Right. So yeah, I like Edwin. I just, I feel bad that this was his last output for the series. And this is not the strongest one by a long shot, not him, the episode. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that as well. Like he, he got shortchanged because of the way that the, the script was handled, the story was handled and, but he was wonderful in this episode. He just seemed like a very charismatic uh, person. So, uh, hate to see him go out this way, but, uh, he was wonderful again. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to, I, I got no other trivia. I, I we got to, you know, <laughs> we got to rate this twist. Woo. Um, I, I mean, I want to give it a five with, I didn't realize we would talk to his ghost self and then suddenly be okay. But that feels, that feels cheap to me. Um, 
I, I don't think there's a twist in this episode, like other than the clock was real and then it wasn't. I don't know. What do you, what do you where, where, I don't even know. What, what are you going to give this? And then I'll, I'll, I'll come up with the final, a final uh, number. I, I'm going to have to give it a one because it, because of the tinkering to the clock and that I, I felt like the clock was going to have some kind of major part to do with the rest of the storyline. And, um, I don't know if we would have called it, uh, you know, the death clock tolls. Like I, I <laughs> because like there's certain episodes that have played out this season. It's like, let's just tell exactly what's going to happen. I, I think that the 90 years without slumbering, I, I think there was like some telling there still. I mean, it would have been much better. If it's like, this guy feels like if he falls asleep, he'll die. You know, like that felt like that's what that was supposed to sound like to me. Right. That's a good clock. Yeah. Uh, good, uh, good clock. Title. Yeah. It's a good clock. Good clock. You're right. So good clock. Yeah, good clock. Um, yeah, whatever. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a one as well because I mean, I feel like a zero would be unfair because something did happen. I just, you know, don't agree with it, whatever. Anyway, that's going to do it for our discussion about 90 years without slumbering. Uh, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook at strange highways there. We're always posting weird stuff. I, I just posted a photo of a very, um, of a very young child in a bed with, um, with shoes that should not be the same size as him. Just throwing it out there. Um, you know, if you guys listen to the last episode, you know what I mean? Um, you guys can find us, um, uh, you can email us directly at uh, strangehighwayspodcast@gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us. And Terry, what other wonderful social media things can people find us on? Okay. So we are on Facebook and, uh, in case y'all haven't been on Facebook lately, we shared some news. So there is a news report today. Um, there is the director, uh, Kelly, uh, Richard Kelly, mm-hmm. who directed uh, Donnie Darko, who is trying to work on a Rod Serling biopic with his daughter. So we may see that come in the future. So that's the kind of stuff that you might be missing on social media. So we shared that just recently. So we'll keep you updated on that. Follow us on social media on Facebook.com. And we are also on Instagram. Um, so check us out, uh, strangehighwayspodcast.com. Uh, that's where you can get in touch with us and ask us questions about uh, our feelings on this episode and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, keep on prodding us about the extra information that we'll find out about that biopic about Rod Serling. Yeah, it sounds exciting because I like his like that Kelly's take on it is that uh, it's going to have some fantastical elements to it, which I'm like, that's you can do that with the kind of like you can be fantastical but still get to the heart of the matter and tell like an interesting story. You know, like, like if, if you told me there was going to be a Rod Serling biopic that was done like big fish, I'd be like, I'm going to be there day one. And I'm going to ball my eyes out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm super interested in checking this out. There's been a lot of good biopics that have done, uh, like what you're talking about with big fish. And, uh, I like, really look forward to this. I hope that, uh, uh, Richard Kelly can get this off the ground and, uh, you know, you know, spend some good time on it. Cause he's also trying to work on another Donnie Darko film for like a trilogy. <laughs> I, well, S. Darko is garbage, so I hope that, uh, never speak of that again. That movie's terrible. He didn't have anything to do with it, though. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah. Um, so next episode, we get some uh, Hamner. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he gets better. Maybe maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time we get such dialogue that's not this. That cat was a witch. Maybe. So let, uh, let Serling here tease in the next episode here. And now, Mr. Serling. Next time we enlist the aid of a very talented scribe, Earl Hamner Jr. 
He's written a story called Ring-A-Ding Girl, and in the milieu of fantasy, this one is strictly a blue-ribbon entry. It stars Maggie McNamara, and it involves a movie actress, a publicity tour, a strange flight, an airplane, and some occult occurrences designed to send shivers through you like a fast subway train. Next time out on the Twilight Zone, Ring-A-Ding Girl. Yeah, I've never, I've not seen this. It's Hamner, you know, coin flip at this point. We'll see what happens next. So that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, I don't know. I'd say wind your clocks, but we all have digital clocks now. So charge your clocks. That's what I'll say. Yeah, don't trust uh, the old man trying to break into your house either. <laughs> We know how you love the cock. Of course, with a with a cock as old as that, it, well, you you're bound to run into problems, you know. Where is he this morning? Still sleeping, I guess. I'm not surprised. He must have been fiddling around with that cock till four o'clock in the morning. Well, why do I need to see a psychiatrist? Well, your preoccupation with the cock, for instance. I'm fond of my clock, and, and that makes me crazy. So you and the clock were born on the same day, so to speak. We're not talking about my clock. We're talking about your clock. Oh, so you, so you have a grandfather's clock too, doctor, huh? Oh, I could talk about clocks for hours, doctor. My clock! I don't know. Sam, take a look for yourself. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I guess it does, yeah. Sam, we might as well be honest. The doctor says the clock should go. Why, it would be perfect. You living next door to us, I could visit the clock every day. You know, I mean, I could take care of it, uh, keep it in good condition. Out of town? Yeah, just for the weekend. You'll hardly miss a visit to your clock. Don't you realize that the clock winds down after 48 hours? Have you forgotten what your father told you? And your grandfather? About what? Didn't they always tell you that when the winds down, you'll die? When that died, I was born again.